today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Our oversight is a spiritual oversight. We need somebody to have the physical oversight and serve and minister to the physical needs of these Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews. So we're told, verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known, listen to this, to be full of the Spirit. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of First Timothy. As Pastor J.D. continues his teaching series through the book of First Timothy, he'll be encouraging those who serve as deacons to be faithful and to not grow weary in doing good. Deacons help with the physical function of the church. The church needs good deacons just as much as it needs good overseers and pastors. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in 1 Timothy chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. If you can't have your house in order, how are you going to serve in a capacity in the church if you can't manage your own family? How are you going to manage in the church? Number 13 is very interesting. He must not be a recent convert. Why? Because, again, you put somebody prematurely into a position of leadership for which they are ill-prepared, and it will go to their head, And you will be party to their fall. Their fall is on you. If you lay hands on anyone suddenly, and here's here's what it looks like. You, You put somebody in a position, they don't have the character. They might have the giftedness. You think, man, that guy, whoo, are we fortunate to have him? Ah, be careful what you, what you ask. I would rather have somebody that is godly inwardly than somebody who is gifted outwardly. Because it's not long before they just collapse and and falter and fail and fall. And you're setting them up. Because then the enemy comes in and starts putting thoughts in their mind like, hey, they gave you a set of keys. Oh man, keys can, I mean, change. I'm not talking about anyone here, but on the mainland, I'll always use mainland examples. Man, you give somebody the key and, you know, you're pulling up to the church and they pull out their keys and need to get in. I have a key. Oh, you have a key? That's authority. Yeah. Want to go to my office? You have an office too? And they get puffed up and conceited. And, And here's what they do. They think it's them. And Satan's right there reinforcing it. Oh, you something special. (laughs) I know. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And again, here comes the pride. And pride always comes before the fall. Spiritual maturity, again, oh, I wish it were something that you just receive, like a gift. But no, it's a fruit, and it has to grow over time. And the root has to be deep and strong 
So when the storms of pride and temptation come in, you're able to stand. That comes with maturity. And that's why you should never lay hands on anyone suddenly if they do not possess the character inwardly to be able to occupy that position as an overseer. Lastly, number 14. He must have a good reputation with outsiders. This is very important. This is a man of good character, earning a good reputation outside of the church with non-believers. He'll be known for his wholesome life and untarnished integrity. This goes back to being blameless. Let's talk about deacons in verses 8 through 10. What do deacons do? They deke. (laughs) Sorry, I just want to make sure you're still with me. So overseers have spiritual oversight, while deacons have physical oversight, in that they minister to and serve the needs of the church. The best example of this is in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There's a conflict. What are we going to do? So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us as the overseers to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Our oversight is a spiritual oversight. We need somebody to have the physical oversight and serve and minister to the physical needs of these Hebraic and Hellenistic Jews. So we're told, verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known, listen to this, to be full of the Spirit. There's the prerequisite. And wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That is what they were called to as overseers, the spiritual oversight. Now here's another question. Can a woman be a deacon? Yes. They're called deaconesses. Deaconesses. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Paul, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancrae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. This speaks to, and this is a big issue, you know. Um, We talked about this last week. Women are not to be pastors of a church. That does not mean that women do not serve in the church. They can serve in these roles as deaconesses. They can minister to the physical needs of the 
Thank God for the women in the church. Oh my goodness. Again, we talked about this last week. When the man abdicates his responsibility and his God-given authority in his leadership role, oftentimes the woman is forced to, whether it's in the church or in the home, and they have to pick up that responsibility, because if they don't, here the man has abdicated his responsibility, if they don't, it all comes crashing down. Women play a very important role within the church, within a ministry. So, what are the requirements for deacons and deaconesses? Number one, worthy of respect. Again, someone who shows proper respect towards both God and man, and as such is worthy of respect. This is kind of along the lines of teachable and able to teach. You know, who's respectable is the one who respects. If I'm respectable, it's probably because I show respect. And it works both ways. Conversely, if I'm not respectable, it's probably because I I don't respect. And it works that way too. Number two, sincere. Someone someone who's not double-tongued, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, saying one thing and doing another. In other words, you're in this crowd, this group, and you say this because it's them, and then you're over here with this group and this crowd, and you say something different because it's them. That's being double-tongued. That's insincere, disingenuous. Number three, again, not indulging in much wine, someone who's not given over to drunkenness. I don't want to get into the whole, can a Christian drink a glass of wine thing? Oh my goodness. I'm still dealing with masks. I'm not going to deal with wine right now. (laughs) Can we just, is is that okay, please? (laughs) It's drunkenness, okay? It's drunkenness. They cannot be given over to alcohol and drunkenness. Number four, not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, someone who's not in it for what they can get out of it. That's not what they're in it for. Number five, they must hold, keep hold of the deep truths with a clear conscience. This has the idea of someone who is doctrinally sound, and it has to be genuine, out of true conviction, a clear conscience. This speaks to the importance, the paramount importance, of the centrality of the Word of God doctrinally. This is for a deacon, not the overseer. This is the deacon. So wait a minute, all I do is, you know, clean the bathrooms. No, that's, <laughs> it brings up another point. I probably should mention this before I forget this, because I do forget. Uh, it's not like the overseer's here, and then the deacon's here. No. In fact, it could be argued that it's the other way around. 
the shepherd, the under shepherd is here, and then everyone else. It's a, it's the inverted world concept of the you know top down, you know the the CEO and then the peons down below the nobodies, you know the insignificant. No, that's not how it works. In the body of Christ, we're all different parts of the same body assembled together. Did I mention this about assembled? You're looking at me with that look that tells me that, you know the difference between assembled and gathering? So the best illustration I ever heard was this. So you get, you get a watch and you get all the parts and you gather them all together. They are gathered. There's no function, there's no operation, nothing was working. You just have all the parts gathered. But when you assemble them, now they're functioning. We're told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When the body of Christ is assembled together, then all the parts are functioning and operating as God intended. So this is what Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, talks about where, you know, don't, you know, if you're the nose in the body of Christ, I th- I'm probably the nose in the body of Christ. I've got a big nose or a big mouth. I guess maybe I'm the big mouth in the body of Christ. But don't let one part of the body look at the other part of the, part of the body and go, I don't need you. Looks at the big toe, I don't need you. The big toe goes, oh yeah, watch me now. And the big toe leaves and down you go. I had no idea how much I needed that big toe to keep my balance. I can't walk without you. That's the point. You want me now, right? I need you now, right? Yeah. That's how the body of Christ is. Every part is important. In fact, Paul goes on to argue that the unseeming parts, the seemingly insignificant parts are of more value than the ones that are, you know, given all the attention and spotlight. I just used that illustration. Don't look at your watches anymore. You know, I stand up here and that spotlight is bright and I know that my bald head reflects it and you see me. You know what you don't see is everyone else behind the scenes. They don't have a spotlight on them. They serve tirelessly, faithfully. They are so important. If it were not for them functioning, in this body of believers, just send me home now, because what am I going to do? So important. We're all part of the same body. Please never see anybody as being inferior to anybody else. This air of superiority, and this goes into the whole thing about rock star pastors. Oh my goodness. Well, you know how I feel about this, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe I should for the benefit of those of you that are new. When I've gone and spoken in conferences on the mainland and people come up to me and go, wow, JD, you're a rock star. I'm like, don't say that. Sign my Bible. No. I don't say it like that, but God already did. I didn't write it. He did. What do you need me to sign it for? Again, I don't say that, but man, imagine how crushed they would be if I did. But this uh, pastors are put on a pedestal upon which they do not belong. 
And then when you've got these, you know, well-known, I hate to use the word famous, pastors who are well-known, and then all of a sudden they don't agree with each other. <gasps> what are you going to do? They're not in agreement. What's the matter with you? If you're looking to them, you're looking in the wrong place. Why are you putting them in that position? There's nobody that should be in that position but God Himself. I think it's a healthy thing when famous, well-known pastors are not in agreement on a certain topic or matter, and it's, again, not dealing with salvation matters. You know, oh my goodness, we need to get together. They need to debate. No, we don't. It's not, are we not in agreement? It's, again, are we in agreement with Him? And I think it's a healthy dynamic sometimes because it takes us, I'll put myself in there, off a pedestal that we should have never been on in the first place. Number six, I better keep moving here. They must first be tested. This is so important too. They must first prove themselves. There is a proving process to show that they are fit by their good and godly conduct. This is a principle that you don't break. It breaks you if you try to go up against it. I've learned the hard way. I've got the scars to prove it. You put somebody in a position that you've not had an opportunity to see how they respond to certain situations. You know, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Put them in a heated situation, which is the ministry all the time. <laughs> see how they uh, respond. See what they do when this happens, and it will happen. I want to see how they, how they respond to that. What's their posture going to be? What's their attitude going to be? They have to prove themselves. Well, let's um, bring it to an end here. Women, in verses 11 through 13, Paul turns his attention to women, and in so doing, he sums up the qualifications for deacons and deaconesses. And again, we have, number one, worthy of respect. We've talked about that, showing proper respect. And being respectful means that you will be respected. Being respectful means you will be respected. I, I want to be careful on number two. Not malicious talkers. Interesting that he would write this to the women. It's not a slanderer, backbiter, talebearer, gossiper. You know what this, in the original language of the Greek New Testament, literally translates as? Not devils. I, I'm just. This is that you. This is. I did not say that. Because what is the devil? Diabolical. Uh, the accuser, the father of lies, the author of confusion. That's who he is. Don't be like that. You know, we've uh, talked about it in our study through the New Testament, where Paul will have a list of all of these ungodly characteristics that should never be numbered amongst the people of God in the church of Jesus Christ. And I mean, you've got things like sexually immoral, 
murderers, adulterers. And would you believe that in that list is gossiper? What? You mean gossiping rises to the level of sexual immorality and murder? Yeah. How do you get there? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, you know, you, you, you say thou shalt not murder. I say when you assassinate and murder somebody with that ugly tongue in your vicious and vile mouth, that's the same as murder. There's power of life and death in the tongue. This is a biggie, and I'm going to leave it at that and let the Holy Spirit take it from here. (laughs) I've seen churches destroyed because of this right here. I've seen marriages destroyed. I've seen families destroyed. I've seen kids who want nothing to do with the church or the things of God because of this. When you slander somebody, you make them guilty until proven innocent. You'll never prove them innocent because you've already been judge and jury in your own mind. And when you're on the hearing end of that, the receiving end of that, and you hear somebody gossiping, spreading rumors, false accusations, slandering somebody, you'll never look at them the same way again. That's how dangerous it is. And again, James talks about this. This tongue can set a firestorm. We can tame wild beasts. We can control large ships. But we can't control this little piece of flesh that God gave us a white picket fence called teeth to keep that thing inside. Number three, temperate in everything. This again is a woman who is reliable, dependable, not volatile, being up one day, down the other. Now, if you're anything like me, and i got to believe that you are, you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, oh my goodness, this, this is the 14 for the overseer, man. And then, this is a tall order. How is it even possible for me to qualify? <laughs> if this is what is required. That's actually a good thing. What do you mean? See, God brings us to this place where we look at the standard, the the gauge where the goalposts are, and we throw up our hands and we say, there's no way that I could attain to that. And then God says, I know you can't, but I can. Through you, in you, instead of you. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged in your faith as we learn from the book of 1 Timothy together. One of the greatest lessons from this book is that it doesn't matter how young or old you are. If God calls you to something, answer His calling. He's faithful to use you and your gifting to further the kingdom in powerful ways. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. As always, we encourage you to keep studying the Bible on your own. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in this series, you'll be able to find them at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Maybe you've been listening today and you've become aware that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
You may already read the Bible and may even attend church, but have you surrendered your life to Christ? If not, today's the day to make that change. If you're not sure where to start, please visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com right now and find the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This will give you step-by-step instructions and will answer questions you might have about why this is so important. We also encourage you to be part of a church. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you join our church family. Come visit Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more and get directions at our website. Again, that's InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us for In Spirit and Truth.